0: This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards. If you're looking to unload your collection and maybe turn some of that old cardboard into cash, Greg Morris can help. Greg's always buying collections of vintage basketball, baseball, football, or hockey cards. If you have modern or ultra modern graded cards, he'll buy those as well. On top of all that, Greg takes cards on consignment. Go to gregmorriscards.com to sell them your cards, or you can email Joe at directly. What's up, everyone? This is episode 162 of the Wax Museum Podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax PC. Um, speaking of social media, got a lot of messages after last week's episode. And it seems like the majority of you were just as appalled as I was, if not more, by the uh, quote, biggest group break of all time. Um, You know, quite frankly, it was manipulative. It was tacky. And I know some people have even said that it was predatory. It wasn't a good look for the hobby. And it certainly wasn't um, for the betterment of the hobby, as some of the participants suggested. Now, as you guys know, there's been plenty of shady stuff go down in the hobby that's been forgotten over time. And truth be told, there's a good chance this event will be too. But my hope in documenting all of this is that if something like this ever creeps up again, we can hold people accountable. And it can't just be the people with podcast or popular hobby pages. Um, I would even argue that some of the bigger hobby profiles didn't really understand the nuances of this train wreck. So it, it can't just be them that are speaking out. It has to be everyone that wants to help make this a better place. You've been equipped with the knowledge of hobby history. Now it's your turn to use that information responsibly. Okay, on to happier things, um, or at least that's what I feel like I've got in store for you today. In a few moments, I'll play the newest installment of Collector Classifieds featuring a collector that I had the privilege of meeting at the 2021 National in Chicago. Um, For time's sake, I'm going to skip the mail segment for this week. Although, if you want to see something, I did post a nice Danny Granger refractor on my social media Monday that someone gifted me. So thanks again, David, for sending me that. Uh, But otherwise, none of my eBay purchases showed up, so there wouldn't be much of a mail segment anyway. Hopefully, they'll be here for next week. And then for today's main segment, I've got a really fun conversation with a collector named Owen, aka Cardstocks Stocks, on Instagram. I mentioned earlier this year that I wanted to branch out and seek out new experiences in the hobby. He's got a few ideas for me, and who knows, he might have even convinced me to sign up for the WhatNot app. Maybe. So you want to make sure to stay tuned for that. All right, let's get going with this week's installment of Collector Classifieds. Hello, fellow collectors out there. This is Steven Seberg. Uh, some of you may know me by my Instagram or blowout forum name, Buck and Tear. Um, I'm on the collector's corner this week, super excited about it, to try and find some new Mitch Richmonds. Um, I stopped collecting as a kid around 1997, so the stuff I still need tends to be all those numbered parallels from the late 90s and early 2000s uh, when I wasn't collecting anymore, things like the 99-2000 platinum medallion, uh, 2001 SPX spectrum, uh, all sorts of numbered cards in that area is generally what I'm looking for. Um, and I have a lot of those international oddball needs too, as I start to pick those up as well. Any help is greatly appreciated. Thanks everyone. Mitch Richmond. Um, a lot of people think of golden state when they think of Mitch, but you know, he was only there like three seasons and then he ended up getting stuck on some pretty bad teams in the nineties, Although I guess it evened out a little in the end because he won a ring with the Lakers in 2002. And by that point, he was just a bench guy. But for those of you that didn't get a chance to watch him, Mitch Richman was a great scorer. He was a great shooter. And some of you might remember an episode I did about the three-point shot. I talked about how the league actually moved the line up for three seasons in the 90s. Well, Mitch definitely benefited from that. He was shooting in the high 30s uh, as far as percentages go. And then that jumped to 44% and 43% in 96 and 97. But guess what? You can't hold that against him. In fact, I think that anyone, uh, anyone out there that exploits a rule change to their advantage should be applauded because that's what great players do. I've said it before. I've said that about Harden. That's what the good players do. Now, some of you might have heard that clip today and thought to yourself, haven't we already heard from this guy? Uh, Well, that was actually a different Mitch Richmond collector, and I don't mind doing that from time to time because obviously more than one person can collect the same player, and chances are they're looking for different things. So I'd love to be able to help Steven out too. I know I mentioned this a little earlier, but he and I finally got to meet up this past summer in Chicago after uh, several years of interacting in the online world. We met up with Jake Roy uh, from 90s B-Ball Cards and got to dig through a couple of boxes that uh, apparently hadn't been touched yet so that was fun we didn't find any rare mitch in there though so we need your help steven messaged me with a specific list and i'll do my best to post that at some point throughout the week so be sure to be on the watch for that all right before i move into today's conversation with owen i want to take a moment to remind you how you can support this show as you guys know there are costs that go into producing a podcast one of my goals is to always keep the show itself free As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com, click whatever store you need to go to, shop as planned, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hi, this is Alan Siegel, the designer of the NBA logo. And now you're listening to the Wax Museum podcast. Okay, joining me today is someone that uh, posts a real eclectic mix of hobby content on social media throughout the week. Chances are you've seen his Instagram account where he posts under the handle at cardstocks, and that's with a Z. Um, Oh, and I'll be honest, when I first saw your handle, I thought you were going to be another one of the uh, hashtag invest accounts. Because it, it was around the time when that stuff was just out of control, but um, I figured out quickly, you know, we interacted some, that was not the case at all. We've been interacting for a few years now, so it's nice to finally have you on for a real conversation. How's it going, man?
1: Yeah, I've had a couple of comments just get absolutely throttled <laughs> just because of the username. It's pretty funny. But uh, no, definitely, uh, well, try to stay as far away from that sector of the
0: hobby as I can. We'll pull a Seinfeld here. Not that there's anything wrong with that, right? Right,
1: right. Yeah, I do plenty of flipping, so.
0: Right, so there is flipping, but as people know, this isn't really the invest platform here. But um, you like I mentioned, though, you've got an eclectic mix of ways that you're involved in the hobby and all sorts of interests. So I, I'm really looking forward to this today. So when I was prepping for this conversation... You know, it's just a matter of, all right, how am I going to put all these things in order? I figured, you know what? I see you posting about the Minnesota Timberwolves a lot, so we might as well start there. Uh, your T Wolves are coming on strong this year. So, what have you thought of this season so far?
1: Yeah, it's been a great run. You know, I am from Michigan; that's where I was born and raised. Um, but I was a big fan of Kevin Love and Kevin Garnett. Those two guys really brought me into the Timberwolves, and. Ever since about 2012, I've been rooting for the Timberwolves hard, and this is one of the first years we're seeing actual, real, tangible success, not just a couple wins here and there, and it's really nice to see out of the group. I think we got a really nice young squad.
0: Yeah, and Anthony Edwards, man, that guy, he's fun to watch. He's fun to listen to. Um, he's got this just irrational confidence, but at the same time, he he seems to be able to back it up, but he is not backing down from anybody Uh, I love that guy. And it's unfortunate for Card's sake that he's part of that you know mass-produced class with LaMelo because people just kind of disregard that year, I think, when it comes to cards.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, for the short term, it is too bad. But then if he does become one of the best players, I mean, looking back, you'll have a lot of variety to choose from and not in the way that the 90s uh, junk wax was overproduced where it's all the same card. You'll have tons of different stuff that you can go for. So I think in 10 years, we'll look at it a little differently, but um, I would agree for the short term, for sure.
0: I, I guess, though, in your case, it's probably awesome because had he been in you know 2018 or 2019, buying his stuff would have been difficult, whereas yeah, now you sure. can probably get quite a bit of it.
1: Yeah. I mean, picking up lots of his Chronicles rookies is the easiest thing on earth. I mean, you can get them for a dollar a piece sometimes on eBay. On Mercari, people list them up for $2 free ship. And I, with my balance that I have sitting on there, I just pick them up.
0: Now, I don't know any other Timberwolves fans. And, um, if I recall in correctly, you live in New Jersey now, but you said you started off in Michigan. So that's, that's an interesting twist. I assumed, I, I guess I assumed you were from Minnesota because well, quite frankly, why else would anyone be a Timberwolves fan? Same (laughs) reason I'm I'm a Pacers fan, by the way, (laughs) I I say that, you know, with myself in mind here too. Um, if you don't mind though, because I've never known a Timberwolves fan. Yeah. Um, Now that I have you on, I want to ask about Carl Anthony Towns because it, it seems like he really wants to be noticed around the league and, and NBA fans in general are indifferent toward him. I can't get a good feel of what the home, what the home fan base thinks about him. Do you like Cat or no? Well, when we picked up Cat in the draft way back when, um, I
1: thought it was going to be a, a real kickstart to the franchise. I knew that he was going to be good. He's just a great player. He's got great fundamentals. And he's, of course, just got that natural ability to and then as things went on, even with Butler and getting to the playoffs, people just the fan base sort of soured on him because he wasn't producing, I guess, at the rate that they expected a star to. But in the last like two thirds of this season, he's really connected with the fan base in a way. I think it's honestly because he streams on Twitch mm-hmm. every probably three times a week. He hops on Twitch uh, the days after games and he'll live stream and just talk to fans. Uh, about the game, he'll watch film, and I think the the way that he uses his modern advantage, you know, with technology and connecting with the fan base that way, I think that's what's really brought him back into kindness with the with the Timberwolves fan base because um, he was being soured on definitely at the beginning of the season.
0: Yeah, i'd almost felt like he was on his way out of there. And then, you know, it, it, it felt like there was an ultimatum either go get D or I'm out of here. They yeah. went and got D And even then it's like, I don't know if this is going to work. Um, and yeah. then, like you said, you've got that fun young core. Um, so something's clicking. You got a couple, yeah. you know, this is a good time in the West too, because who knows if the nuggets are going to, you know, if Jamal Murray's going to come back and push them over the edge. Who knows if the Jazz are actually going to do anything. The Lakers probably aren't even going to make the playoffs. You know, Kawhi, where's he at? So it's, it's a good time right now in the West. Best time to
1: strike, for sure. And I think we're taking good advantage of that. And I think uh, Chris, our head coach, Chris Finch, is a lot of the reason for that, too. He's got definitely uh, is ingrained in the culture and he knows how to
0: coach those guys for sure. Yeah, that was a name that came up a couple of years ago for the indie job and um, I didn't really know a lot about him, and I thought it was strange that he jumped. Didn't he jump mid-season for the Minnesota job?
1: Yes, yeah.
0: I, I thought he was taking a pretty big risk there, but mm-hmm. um, seems like it. You know, he knew what he was doing, and, and it's paid off, and he's got those guys to buy in.
1: Yeah, and I wasn't sure if it was the right move for the franchise initially because um, it meant getting rid of Ryan Saunders, which is mm-hmm. a team named legend for years, so But it ended up working out really well, even though at the beginning it was kind of a struggle. We've really pulled it back.
0: So we've learned a little bit about your kind of how you came to be a Timberwolves fan. But I I feel like there's probably more to the story and more to your collecting history. So I want to give you that chance before we talk about all sorts of hobby topics today to kind of give us a little bit more context. So why don't you give us an overview, um, you know, maybe of your basketball fandom prior to the Timberwolves and then also your collecting history feel free to take as much time as you'd like here.
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, when I was a kid, uh, I've always been a big sports fan. Uh, My dad played baseball for Michigan State University, so I've got sports in the blood. I've always loved it. In terms of collecting, that was passed down to me from my dad as well, from his father, actually, their old 50s and 60s baseball card collection, uh, which was really interesting to have that be the first sort of cards that I came into in my hobby career. And that was way back, way back. I was probably eight to 10 when I first got those and studying those cards and learning more about those older players before I had the chance to break into the modern hobby was, I think, an advantage that um, taught me a lot about caring for the cards Mm -hmm. and research for just collecting sake, just shiny things which I think is what a lot of kids get into the hobby for, or at least they did back in the day before it blew up in, in terms of investing and stuff. But my mom really brought me into the hobby as well when she bought me a hobby box for of 08 Tops baseball okay. for Christmas one year. And that's what really sent me over the edge in the early stage. I opened all those packs. I hit my first memorabilia card and that just sent me on a ride. I started collecting there. I actually started using uh, eBay and Craigslist at that time as well. Getting into that early, I've always been a kid who loves to sell stuff. I don't know. That's in the blood as well. I was (laughs) selling painted rocks around the neighborhood out of a wagon when I was a kid. And then I took a little break. I guess just being a kid, things change and passions change. But I ended up getting back into it about freshman year in high school because I visited my local antique mall. And um Found a box of 1990 tops for five bucks. That's how much they cost at the antique mall back then. So brought it home, did some more research, remembered why I loved baseball cards and all that, and uh, decided I'd do a Frank Thomas rookie, no name on front search. And I ended up buying every 90 tops box out of the whole mega mall. I think I probably opened 12 plus uh, 36 count boxes and then like six or seven uh, jumbo pack boxes just searching. And uh, ended up with stacks of probably like thousands of cards just sitting there. Didn't pull the no name on front. I, it'd be a much different story uh, if I had. But uh, that's when I started um, looking into TTMs as well. I wanted to do that 1990 top set way back in the day. It's like 700 card
0: set. Never would have made it through. Probably not now. Just for reference, real quick, TTM is through the mail. So that'd be yes. trying to get autographs through the mail. Yep. And we'll, I think we'll talk about that later.
1: That's a great thing. Um, but then uh, took a little break again, had to work for to uh, pay for my college and then got back into it about 2017, 2018 when I found Mercari and uh, I was already selling stuff on
0: different things on Mercari
1: at the time and figured this is a great place to sell cards and got right back
0: into it. Wow. I I didn't realize Mercari had been around that long. Um, Yeah. Interesting. And we will talk about Mercari a lot more later on. So a lot of that is, is baseball centered. So what brought you over to the basketball side of things then?
1: Um, I really liked baseball and basketball through about eighth grade. Then I got cut from the basketball team, which is fair. I wasn't, I was very short at the time and uh, not the best, but, um, played baseball through high school, but basketball, I I just love the way the sport moves. And, uh, it's, it's like an art really. And I, I, I just love to watch it. I just have a real passion for basketball. So I don't think it was any like particular moment, although, um, the Spurs and Miami heat finals were like the first games that really brought me back into basketball. And, um, I remember staying up late nights watching those finals games, and that was what really put my passion towards basketball and away from other sports. And then I started writing articles back in high school for fadeawayworld.com. It's kind of grown into a little bit of a meme uh, uh, website now, but
0: back in the day... Bleacher Report started out like that too, and here we are. exactly.
1: Yeah. So I wrote some articles back in high school about basketball, and then uh, just watching regular season games and stuff like that, my passion grew. And ultimately that's my favorite sport now for sure.
0: Okay. So that brings us to 2022 then where, as I mentioned in the intro, you're very active in the hobby. Um, although in ways that are a lot different than some of the other accounts I follow. So most of what we're going to talk about today deals with physical cards, but I notice you're also really into Panini's digital platform, which is called Dunk. And for those of you that are not familiar with that platform, uh, these are not NFTs, unless things have changed. But um, on this show, NFT still stands for not for trade. Um, (laughs) I haven't played around with the Dunk app any, but it it looks similar to Top's Bunt, which I played around with a little bit, maybe nine or 10 years ago. Uh, Tell me a little bit more about Panini Dunk and how you got into that and, and why you're so active on it.
1: Yeah, sure. It's really similar to Bunt in a lot of ways. It's an app that Panini put out in 2015, along with the Blitz app, which is the football companion, sort of the same thing there. And um, just through the years, they've been releasing with uh, modern sets. They've been releasing digital sets alongside since 2015. And these cards, some of them are serial numbered, like a traditional Panini blockchain NFT would be. Some of them are just no numbering, more common, and uh, in a way that sort of makes it a little more easy to get into because you don't have to necessarily be paying big bucks or doing crazy things to get cards initially. Um, it's totally different from the uh, Panini blockchain and from Panini Instant. It's not blocked in any way. They have their own personal like block, which is where all that data is kept on, Panini does. Um, but it's not connected to any blockchain in any way, at least not yet. Uh, In September of last year, the Panini creative director on the Lucas Tigers and Bronze podcast, he actually announced that they have plans to get the Panini dunk cards onto the Panini blockchain eventually to make them actual NFTs. Um, And I just think it's a great digital platform. And um, it's a great way to get into digital collectibles if you're sort of on the fence about it, or if you don't know enough about it, you can do it completely free. The app is free. There's tons of content on there that's absolutely free trading, auctioning with in-game currency. And it's a really fun time for sure.
0: Okay. So say, um, because I'm not really into digital collectibles, right? Mm -hmm. So um, as someone who collects physical cards, um, what is on there that might draw me to it? Or should I just stay away?
1: Well, I mean, just in the last couple of years, you've seen how much the price of uh, wax, this alone, this is a totally different topic, but you see how much the price of wax has risen and how much it costs to actually rip cards. If you are passionate about opening packs and actually seeing what you can get in that way, it's a great way um, to get into it because packs in most cases are absolutely free. You can make enough in-game currency in probably 10 minutes to get a brand new 2021 elite pack, you know, and that's something that would cost you a lot more money in in real life or at the the LCS. So that's a great uh, reason. And um, just the ability to have your collection right in the palm of your hand is a really good thing as well. And I think Dunk does that really well with its collection feature. You can see everything that you've got right there in front of you. You can sort, search by name. It's not sorting through boxes of stuff, Um, makes it a lot easier to show off your cards when it comes time. Like if someone has a big game, search Durant in your collection, hit the card, take a screenshot, and then you've got your card to post on Instagram. I think it's great for content in that way. Um, The collecting aspect as well is really great because the traditional blockchain NFTs of Panini, they're harder to collect in the way that there's less of them. And of course, they're on the blockchain, so you have to pay actual currency to Get them in most cases, and then in the way that there's only been one or two years of these digital cards being produced, uh, compared to where Dunk, all the way back in 2015, they were making cards you can pick up actual Ben Simmons rookie cards on Dunk, and compared to Panini NFT, where you can get the first Ben Simmons mint, but um, it's not the same.
0: Well, I, I guess last year, I, I was on NBA 2K opening packs just because. I missed that feeling in real life and it kind of allowed me to scratch that itch. So maybe, uh, maybe Dunk's not a bad idea for me now because I'm still not opening a lot of packs. So I I guess I might need to check that out.
1: Yeah, it it is definitely a um, fun to get into, even if you're not serious about it. But if you are looking to make an investment into the digital space, it's a great way to start because the cost of buying is so low. It's still got a lot of promise, especially being connected to ben Panini in that way. Just a, a super huge sports card power that, you know, it, this could definitely come to fruition in the end.
0: Now, when they lose the NBA license, though, what's going to happen to Dunk? Yeah, see, that I'm I'm not sure about.
1: And that makes it really interesting. I'm I'm not sure if they can even keep the IP on the app. So I don't know if they bring it down or what happens in that case. I have no idea, to be honest with you so hoping I, for the best
0: yeah hope for the best and and who knows at panini by that time might even be under the fanatics umbrella um yeah i don't have i don't have any inside info for that but you know it, <laughs> at this point it's hard to predict what's going to happen
1: i'm bought in for free anyways i i've never spent a single dime on the app i've been playing since 2016 so uh in that way you can do whatever you want on there the sky is the limit and you never have to Pay a cent. So it's a great way to buy into the digital space, regardless, even if it's a gamble.
0: You know what else is a gamble? Not taking care of yourself. I've got to pause this conversation for a moment here because I have heard that there are some people out there that are taking a chance on some shoddy equipment. And lucky for you, this week's episode is brought to you in part by Manscaped, the best in men's below the waist grooming, who recently launched the Performance Package 4.0, the ultimate. Men's hygiene bundle. And this thing was made um, to put smiles on faces. As part of this package, you get the lawnmower 4.0, you get the weed whacker nose and ear hair trimmer, you get the crop preserver below the waist deodorant, and you get the crop reviver below the waist toner. On top of that, you get two free gifts a pair of Manscaped boxers and the shed travel bag. As I've said before, Uh, They sent me one of these performance packages and we've been on a trial run for the last month or so. This is probably the last ad read for them on the show. So let's go out with a bang here. Show them some gratitude and take care of yourself at the same time. Go to manscaped.com and get 20% off plus free shipping with the code wax, W-A-X, wax at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code wax. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped, the only trimmer endorsed by the Wax Museum podcast. All right. So at the same time, I know that you definitely enjoy physical cards. You enjoy the digital ones, but you really like the physical cards, as you've talked about earlier, and digging for them. So we do have something in common there. And about a week ago on your Instagram stories, you mentioned you were going to a card show close to you, or at least I think it was close to you. Sure. Um, How was that experience for you? And then do you get to go to a lot of shows where you're at? In Michigan,
1: initially, I would not get to go to a lot of shows because the state is obviously so large and it takes a long time to get to these shows that usually aren't in my area. So I'd get to go to like maybe one show every two months that's right in the mall by me. And it's not the most fun show anyways. But here in Jersey, the state is so small and it's actually sort of a sports card hub. I think Golden is a, a, initially mm-hmm. based here and there's there's a PSA location here. Um, so it's kind of a hobby hub. There's three to four shows every single weekend here, which is just mm-hmm. an absolute dream and None of them more than an hour away from me. It's really been fun to go to shows every single weekend. It's something I've not been able to experience yet before moving here to Jersey. So what's your show strategy when you get to a show? Uh, I've set a couple rules for myself. I like to think of what platforms I'm going to be flipping some of these cards onto So I like to keep it separate. Like whatnot, I'll have a section. Mercari will have a section. And then probably just for me to PC, will have a section. So you mentioned it. I'm a bargain box digger. Um, I will dig through quarter and dime and 50 cent and dollar boxes till my fingers bleed and um, find cards that I can get some good ROI
0: on. We've talked a little about buying cards, but Um, I know I see a lot of outgoing cards, and you mentioned that you are flipping some of those, so um, we'll get to the alternative online platforms in a little bit here, but I want to talk about this card booth that you used to post about on your account, and I think that was a Michigan thing, but I'd still like to hear about it. This was at the same local uh, antique mall that you talked about buying the boxes at, right?
1: Yes, the same uh, antique mall that I bought those 90s tops boxes at all the way uh, in the future, uh, last year from January to September, I ran a antique mall booth at our local mega mall, is what they called it in uh, Lansing, the capital city of Michigan, and uh, really had a really fun time seeing what it felt like to run my own LCS in a way uh, without having to obviously pay those egregious rental fees right. for
0: no overhead. To stay. Yeah, a little, very little overhead. I should very say little
1: overhead. Yeah.
0: What does it cost to rent a space like that?
1: So, I mean, they have tons of different spaces in there. I uh, was lucky enough to find a space sort of near the front, a little prime spot where people see a lot, uh, but it did cost me a little more. It was one of the bigger spaces they add to. My rental was $200 a month, which is a bit steep, uh, to be fair. But they have glass cases that you can keep things in there for 30 bucks a month. You know, that's mm. a great way to um, sort of set up a physical location, a shop for yourself. But my cost was $200 a month and I, I ended up losing money in the end there. Mm. But it was a great experience overall. It kind of further pushed me from the physical space to move into digital uh, selling and sort of creating my own sort of online LCS. Just because those startup fees are crazy, um, finding a spot now where you can rent a space and still make your money back selling cards is hard, especially when you're just a college kid.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. That was a cool little setup. I was a little bit jealous of you when I saw that because I thought, man, I would love to run something like that myself. But at the same time, I was thinking, I don't think I could uh, turn a profit on that. Um, yeah. But it, it, you know, there's an lucky- experience cost too.
1: Yeah, I was lucky that I live probably 10 minutes, 10 minute drive from that mall. So uh, that cost of getting back and forth costs a lot less too, but that can add up as well.
0: All right. Well, as part of my 2022 hobby goals, I talked about seeking out new hobby experiences and you seem to be doing really well on a couple marketplaces that I'm not a part of. So I want to learn more about those. And the first one is the WhatNot app which um, I have talked about a little bit on this show. I know you asked about it on one of the listener mailbags and um, my, my exposure to that has been people exposing themselves for the most part. A lot <laughs> of screaming, a lot of shirts coming off. Um, yes. and, and my advice for the app going forward was uh, more streaming and less screaming. And yes. um, you're fully clothed today. You seem to be more <laughs> on the streaming side of things. So I feel like I need you to give this app fair treatment because I'm probably not doing that. It's probably there's some great stuff on there, but everywhere I go, you know, there's a lot of really cringy stuff um, with their logo on it or or that they've branded as part of their brand. Um, So tell me a little bit more about your experience there.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there. I was actually recruited by whatnot way back in the day in February of 2021. I was one of the first sports card sellers that they actually had on the app. Uh, They hit me up on Instagram and asked me if I had any interest in streaming on their live platform. And I had seen apps like Loop and I was like, this could be a good opportunity for me. So I I took it and um, ran with it. And I definitely see where people are coming from with criticism of whatnot. There's definitely a lot of things that could be changed to make the platform a better buyer experience and seller experience, to be fair. But that just comes with breaking, I think, a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. I a, a lot of these breakers, like you said, taking their shirts off, screaming for nothing. Uh, <laughs> right. They're thespians. nothing.
0: That's, that's uh, yes. really all they are. Um,
1: it can get taxing especially when those are the guys getting all the viewers and stuff like that. But I love to run my channel in a way. I I think of it as, like I said, a digital LCS. Mm -hmm. So I used to be on a set schedule. Now I've kind of fallen off of it. But I would do uh, every weekday, set up a single stream where I have, I probably can send you a little clip of it so you can throw it up. Uh, I've got a presentation going across the top of pictures of all the singles that I'm selling that day. Down below, I've got the camera up in case I need to show a card. I've got everything set up to the side for buy now, and I just let it sit. And um, in that way, uh, it's sort of like a local card shop, but right there on your phone. And I think the app could use a lot more creativity instead of just the same old like -like, Neanderthalic breaking rituals that we've been used to since YouTube was invented back in the day. So I think there's a lot of avenues on whatnot, where people can bring their creativity from the hobby. A lot of really smart people. Um, Mars Collection uh, that you probably know from Instagram. Uh, he's another great whatnot streamer who does really unique streams that draw viewers in. And even though they're not pushed out to the platform, because we're not breaking $1,000 flawless boxes, um, it's, it's still really fun content to watch. And I think there's a lot of that on the platform that sort of gets pushed under because they like to float those big breakers to the top, which I can't blame them for. That's how they make their money, But right, and especially being a young app. But uh, I think there's a lot of room for growth in the hobby on whatnot. And um, it's a great resource for young sellers who don't necessarily know how to get on PayPal and make a new label and do all their own shipping and handle all their own records and stuff like that, where whatnot, you can hop on your live stream, like Instagram Live, but you can have people buy their items right there. Instead of having to Venmo you or PayPal you, I think it's a lot easier to get into as a seller.
0: So the payment um, process is through the app then? Yes. All, everything's through
1: the app. Um, you get paid out through PayPal from the app. And then all the payments come in from to the app from the buyer.
0: Okay, and then uh, they keep record of the sales, so like you don't have to have a notepad on the side saying, you know, I just sold this twenty-five cent card to such and such. Right, it's, it's all on the app.
1: I can hit the seller dashboard, hit CSV report, and print out my full report for the sales slipping in my binder i'm ready for taxes
0: <laughs> okay wow yeah so yeah. that actually does sound it's i will say it a, sounds a little more functional than i thought um, yeah i i think i kind of assumed it was just streaming um just basically another video platform
1: yeah on the back end it's a it's a little more complicated but then again i wouldn't expect people to know because their whitelist for actually getting on streaming is so long i mean there's thousands of people waiting to get their ability to start streaming you have to be approved to start actually streaming as a seller. Oh, whatnot. wow. I didn't so, know that. Yeah. Their whitelist is pretty long. And um, I'm sure there's thousands of people waiting to sell their cards. Well,
0: what does the vetting process look like then? Because I've seen some real goobers on there. Yeah. Um, there's
1: an application, I believe. I, back in the day when I was filling it out, it was I think it was a lot more simple. Uh, and of course, they invited me. There's There's a significant... I wouldn't say significant, but sort of significant vetting process where you fill out an application and then they'll take a look at your social media and see if you're, I guess, ready for the platform or not, which is fair because some people just aren't quite prepped to be live streaming sales quite yet and shipping everything out. So there's gotta be a process there, I suppose.
0: Okay, so maybe I'm gonna add that to my list. I need to take another look at Dunk. I need to take another look at whatnot. Um, And then next up, Maybe we'll see at the end of this conversation. Maybe I need to take another look at Mercari, which seems the last time I looked at it, which was about a year ago, um, seems like a combination of maybe Craigslist, eBay and OfferUp. Is that right? Yeah, it's it's sort of a Maj Paj marketplace is what I sort of think of it as. Um,
1: it's a, like a brand new UI compared to other marketplaces that I've experienced in the past. It's similar in a way to like Poshmark almost, which mm-hmm. is interesting. But I think initially it was for other items. So, But now it's sort of turned into a place where sports cards are sold quite frequently. But I actually started selling on Mercari in 2017 when I was flipping vintage clothing. Uh, okay. That's how I got started on Mercari, realized that it was a really good platform for selling and buying. And I uh, decided that I'd take my cards over there. There's a, a ton of benefits to selling on Mercari for sure. And I find it a lot easier than selling on eBay in a lot of cases.
0: When I last looked at it, the UI was, was part of what was a little um, tough for me, just because it wasn't, uh, the, the search wasn't as streamlined as much as like eBay, where it's just here's a list. Um, so that was kind of tough for me, but it seems like you've really found your groove on there. And you posted a video of you listing a card on there this week. And I, I want to say the process probably took less than a minute.
1: Yeah, about 40 seconds it takes me to list an individual item now. So okay. at top speeds. I can uh, list uh, probably 80 in an hour, which is really efficient compared to where on eBay, I wouldn't be able to do close to that
0: sort of right. timing. Now, but you wouldn't be listing obviously like an Anthony Davis RPA or something on there. Um, so what's, what's kind of your threshold or, or what's your deciding factor for what you sell where? Yeah,
1: for a long time, I've been doing uh, PWE sales on Mercari. Mm-hmm. And for people who don't know, That's plain white envelope shipped with a stamp, no tracking. It's something that some people look down on a lot of the time, but I think a lot of people understand that's just part of the hobby now. Um, Buy at
0: your own risk. Yeah, pretty much. And
1: um, that's how I sort of go about it on Mercari. Like you said, you're not going to sell an Anthony Davis RPA. I think the max price you can even sell an item for on Mercari is about two thousand dollars, and I would never list a card worth $2,000 on there, just because I don't know if I'd sell a card worth $2,000 online. But um, I stick to the bargain bins finds on there. I take what I find, like I said, at the shows and stuff like that uh, in lots online. And then I do $2, $3 free shipping listings. They have unlimited listings on Mercari. There's no sort of set boundaries. I've got over 3,000 listings on my page right now um, all for free uh, where eBay I know they charge after 250 I believe so mm-hmm. that's interesting and in that way selling those cheaper cards the UI actually helps me because that search is it's it's an interest interesting search process where it you can sort it by newest uh, by highest price by lowest price like eBay But you can also have your likes, which is like your watches, essentially. Mm -hmm. You can save your searches as well, which is really interesting. Uh, You can do that on eBay too. But on Mercari, it'll keep it right in a nice list for you. It'll show a little red dot with a number, like how many new items have been listed in that category. So I've got 2012 Prism, 2013 Prism, 2014 Prism star rubies, precious metal gems, platinum medallion, all those searches saved. Mm -hmm. So when I go to buy on Mercari, when I need to find something I'm looking for, uh, it's super quick to get to those places and uh, actually see if there's a new item that I'm interested in. And I think that helps me a lot with people saving basketball card, accidentally saving basketball card in their saved searches. And then when they hit that, there's 30 new items that I just posted all for $2 shipping. That's exactly what they're looking for in most cases.
0: Right. Now, are you going to, is there a decent amount of, you know, obscure stuff on there? Or I, I think it was, you posted like a Jamal Lewis, was it a, a PMG or a, a Rubies on there?
1: That I just posted the other day. I found some great finds on Mercari. I found a precious metal gem for $12 on Mercari, a, an old 98 baseball precious metal gem which was a great find. Um I found some really interesting stuff. I just posted on my Instagram page this morning. I got a 2017 Vanguard Dylan Brooks gold rookie out of 10 and a Mike Miller uh 2015 Finals patch.
0: I saw that uh, yeah. For,
1: yeah, all for $30 uh, on Mercari just because this seller had been sitting on it for probably a couple of months and um, made him an offer, said, will you make this into a lot for me? Of course, people are a lot more willing to do that uh, on Mercari because it's just that much easier to make a listing than eBay or other marketplaces. And you end up getting a lot of good deals that you wouldn't have gotten otherwise just because sellers are just so much more willing to work with you when the process is that much
0: easier for selling. Mm -hmm. So I I might have to take another look at that. I like the um, the save search function that you just mentioned there. I think that could be useful. Um, there's a couple Pacer searches I'll probably have to add on there <laughs> and add to my, my huge daily rotation of platforms that I'm looking at searching high and low for the rarest TJ Leafs and Jeff Fosters. <laughs> um,
1: and um, in, like Mercari, I mean, like whatnot, I mean, Mercari is just another great platform for younger people. Uh, that are just getting introduced to the hobby to get involved on because it's so easy. It's really streamlined. It's a great way to get into the hobby for uh, the younger generation, for sure. A lot easier than getting sort of inversed into the eBay scene, which is, I think, a little bit harder.
0: It's getting tricky. Yeah, I actually, I have not sold a card on eBay now in years. um, And I'm not planning on doing so for a long time either.
1: I agree. I haven't used eBay since probably...
0: 2016. So now on the flip side I'm I'm searching on there nonstop. Yes, of course, um, buying, yeah, I'm not I selling on there. Sell. Yeah. All right, so let's close out today with a couple projects that you're working on and uh, one of them is based around a hoop set and I should clarify even though it is a hoops project, it doesn't suck, but you're working <laughs> on getting as many signed cards as you can from 1990 hoops. And if you're listening and maybe having trouble visualizing that set, it's the Mark Jackson Menendez brothers or the yep. uh, Sam Vincent, you know, Michael Jordan wearing number, number 12 uh, has a gray border. So how did this project come about?
1: Um, well, I've always loved hoops. It was some of the first old wax basketball that I was ripping back when I was ripping on uh, 90 tops as well. I was buying some basketball for fun, ripping some 90 hoops, 89 when I could find some packs. And it's just a set that I really like. I love how huge the set is. And uh, I think there's a lot of good key rookies. And I, I just like that era of basketball, even though it's junk wax, it's a great era of players. And it's also a set where you're going to be able to get a lot of those cards signed because there's just so many. So mm-hmm. that was one of the reasons I went for it. But ultimately, the reason I went for it is because I bought a entire poop set in the original binder at my LCS for like 10 bucks in like March of last year. So I thought to myself, well, this would be a great project to start. I thought of my idea of getting the whole 90 top set TTM way back when I was like in high school. So I was like, this will be a great way to uh, sort of build up some inventory, build some value in my collection and also uh, take on a fun project.
0: Yeah. And it's something that you might finish it in in many years. You might <laughs> yeah. never finish it, but um, yeah. it's it's a fun project to take on. Nonetheless, my uh, my '72 top set took me nine years. So yeah. it, you know, it's it's going to be once you uh, if if you buy that Jordan, if you find it somewhere and buy it, that's when there's no turning back. For me, it Truly. was Mirovich. Once I bought that yeah. Mirovich, uh, first off, it's like all right, I'm gonna buy this before I'm married. Uh, Which I did. (laughs) And uh, then once I did that, it was like, all right, there's no turning back now. When I see the other rare ones, I'm pulling the trigger because I've got Maravich. So, do you have any big ones like that? Maybe not Jordan, but any big ones?
1: Uh, Nothing insane. I don't have a ton of the set yet. It's just a, a new side collection for me that I'm putting together. But the few that I've put together, I've got Muggsy Bogues. He hasn't signed since last year. I think he's done signing. Um, through the mail. And he used to be awesome. Yeah, he was a great signer for a little while there. Way back in like 2018, he was taking like 300 days to respond, but then it got to like 10. He must have been doing like a signing spree, but now it's been MIA for the last year. So that's one I think will be one that I'm happy I got early. Mm-hmm. And then I also, uh, another great Mercari steal, I got a
0: Glenn Rice rookie auto off of Mercari for two dollars free shipping. Yeah. PWB. He used to be a good signer, but I don't think he's returning now either. So that's a good pickup.
1: He stopped. So I was super happy to pick that up because it's probably a $30, $40 card. And even though that's not a big price tag for someone like me who's working in the margins, it's it's a little bit to
0: it adds up. Yeah. Well that was the thing with my set too is I could have gone out at the start and bought a large chunk of them at $30 or $40 a piece. Um, but if I could find a window where they were signing sometime throughout the year, you know, it essentially cost me the the dollar for the card and then the dollar for the two stamps. Um, mm-hmm. Which, when you're looking at 264 cards, forty dollars even forty dollars a piece, which I wish it averaged that, but even forty dollars a piece uh, that adds up and fast. So, um, yeah, any of them you can get that are a lot cheaper. That's always a good thing. Uh, I'll have to keep you in mind. Cause I, I buy just lots of TTM autos sometimes mm-hmm. that, you know, people have been sitting on and it feels like there's some 1990 hoops in there from time to time. So I might have to look through my stuff too, to see what I have. Uh, what website are you using for addresses?
1: Uh, I use sports card forum, SCF. Uh,
0: they, require you to make an
1: account to see the addresses, but I understand that completely, but that's a great database that I've been using.
0: Yeah. I, um, I used to do through the mail pretty heavy and, uh, for a while I'd kind of run out of guys that I wanted to send to, but I, I did get a couple of 61 fleers back from Richie Guerin this week. So, um, yes, I was excited I that. about that. Yeah. People are saying you should go for that set too. It's a small set. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, there's two Wilt rookies, two Russell's yes. second, you small know, his set. second card. Yeah. Two West rookies, two Baylor rookies. Yeah. No thanks. Yeah. Um, oh, although I, I do probably have around 12 or 15 now, but I'm going to, I'm going to nix that project here from the start.
1: We'll keep that to a
0: partial set. Right. Okay. So I mentioned that you had a couple projects you're working on then. The other one is is one that I know less about. I did see a little video that you posted, um, I think, Saturday. I guess you would call it your center collection or your center project. Tell me a little bit more about what that is and, and what you're looking to do with that.
1: Yeah, it's a project I've kept a little more under wraps just because it's going to take me a, a really long time. It's like a magnum opus sort of collection that i is really my dream to put together to put together um, a gallery of cards, obviously, and memorabilia of all of the greatest centers in the history of basketball, NBA, ABA, other sorted leagues, overseas, international, WNBA, and um, it's a project that's going to take me probably most of my life. But I, I think it's something that I'm really passionate about. I, I've been getting it started the last couple of years after I had the initial thought and. Uh, It's something I'd really like to do to solidify myself in the hobby and take my collection to the next level, really.
0: So now you mentioned earlier, you got cut because you were too short. Uh, So you're not, so you weren't a center. So, and, and we know, you know, despite what some of the invest accounts tried to tell us, Oh, it's time to invest in centers. It's never been time to invest in centers. What made you gravitate towards the centers then?
1: Well, when I first started getting into basketball, like I said, my guy was KG and Kevin Love eventually down the road, but KG was a big inspiration for me. And I've always had a love for the big man, even though he's a power forward. I've always had a love for the big man. I think that centers are probably the most underappreciated position in basketball. And I think they really hold the team together and do a, a lot of the work that just goes unnoticed. And uh I've always loved the center position. A lot of my favorite players in NBA history are at that center position. I love Wilt. I, I love Shaq. Uh, those are guys that I'm really into, and and I just think there's a lot of good history there. And I also love just the human species. Seeing people get to seven foot tall and higher is just amazing. I love the idea of a giant person. It's mm-hmm. so cool to me. So. I'm working on the database that I'll be using to put it together. I'm about 300 centers uh, deep, uh, almost finished with the NBA and ABA. So um, we'll be moving on to the WNBA soon. And then um, to the part which is going to take a lot more research, which is the uh, international Uh, and overseas leagues, which will take a lot of time, but I'm dedicated to it. And I love learning about players. Every chance I get to read a Wikipedia page about a guy I've never heard of before in the NBA is just awesome to me.
0: Yeah. Some of these guys I know, especially with the ABA or with like the 57 top set, um, I've, I've wanted to do, you know, little bits on them for the show or whatever. And, you know, I go to Wikipedia too, as the first source. And some guys have a paragraph or, or maybe not even that. And you're forced to find, all right, this guy grew up in Des Moines. I've got to find an article from the Des Moines register, you know, or some somewhere that's going to give me just a little bit more about his life. Um, And then that leads you down the rabbit trail. So I, you know, I enjoy that kind of stuff as well. So we're definitely on the same page there. All right. Well, Owen, this has been a lot of fun. We could probably keep going and going. So I'll have to have you on again at some point and and maybe even get some updates on those projects. I appreciate you taking the time to come on the show, but before you go, I want to give you a chance to plug your social media handles or your, um, your seller names on all of these apps that we've talked about or anything you're working on or anything that you're looking for. These next few moments are yours. Sure.
1: Uh, You can hit me up on Instagram. Like you said, I'm cardstocks with a Z. Um, and from there, you can hit the link in my bio and you can find links to all of my seller pages, Mercari, whatnot, my other Instagram pages for digital and my YouTube channel as well. I've been doing some stuff on there, a little bit of fun on there. So in terms of looking for, I will be putting out a want list for the center's collection soon. I'm, it, It's a work in progress. It's going to take a long time even just to put those lists of card names together. But um, it will be out soon and it'll be pinned on my page. So you'll be able to find it there.
0: Awesome, man. I'll try and link all that stuff throughout the week as well. So that way people can find you and hopefully get in touch with you and maybe even help you out with some of that stuff.
1: Yeah, and if anybody needs um, help on Mercari or whatnot, getting used to selling, I'm happy to help hit me up in the DMs and I'll be happy to help you out there
0: too. All right, you heard it there. If you need help, he's your guy to go to. Thanks mm-hmm. again, Owen. Thanks, Kyle. All right, well, there you have it. Thanks again to Owen for taking the time to come on the show and give us an inside look at his hobby world. And since we recorded that conversation, I've downloaded the Dunk app. It's kind of hard to get the hang of at first, but I'm going to give it some more time. I've already been opening some packs. Um, I haven't quite ventured to Whatnot or Mercari yet, but he's at least got me a little more interested in those two. And maybe you've already made that jump and you've had a good experience. Uh, or maybe there was something we talked about today that resonated with you. Feel free to reach out to me on social media. As always, you can find me on Instagram under the handle at Podcast, or on Twitter under at PC. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site, which is www.WaxMuseumPodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top, Click that and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast.